Colleagues, welcome back to the office. It's Steve and welcome to the CPE Today podcast. We're going to get started with our podcast presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I'd like to share some insight on how you can receive credit for watching today's presentation. There are two options. You can either watch live as it's being recorded through Zoom, more on that here in a moment, or you could be watching or listening on demand wherever you happen to receive content. We distribute our show through YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, our website, and many other places. Now, if you happen to be watching on demand on your own schedule, after watching or listening to today's class, head on over to cpetoday.com and locate today's course page. Uh, you can find our course code by looking at the footer of the presentation to see the link presented there. And it will also be mentioned throughout the presentation on multiple occasions. After com purchasing today's class, you'll complete a short five question quiz on what was discussed in today's presentation. And upon passing that your certificate for your CPE credits will be automatically generated and available for download. In addition to your purchase, you can also download copies of today's presentation, learning materials. You can ask the presenter questions and more. Now, if you happen to be watching live as it's being recorded through Zoom, your attendance will be confirmed through attendance prompts, which will occur every 12 to 20 minutes and approximately four per hour. They'll pop up automatically. And when a prompt comes up, please choose a response to confirm your attendance. It doesn't actually matter what you choose as long as you choose something as your response will confirm your engagement with our presentation. Attendance prompts might not be announced, so please keep an eye out for them. Now, as long as you've com uh, completed at least 75% of the attendance prompts, you will receive full credit for our presentation. Your completion certificate will be delivered to you by email within two business days of the event. You can always visit cpetoday.com if you have any questions or issues with your certificate. After our presentation today, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, there will be a course evaluation that will automatically pop up. It should take you anywhere from one to three minutes to complete, and your feedback will be used to help us produce better content in the future. Now, if you have any questions or comments throughout the presentation, we'd love to know what they are. Please use the chat or the Q&A functionality to let us know what you think, or if you have any questions on the materials that are being presented. Also, please feel free to share your experience, knowledge, and insight with the class. If you have any technical issues, you can also use that functionality to ask for help. You can always find great content at cpetoday.com. We have a variety of self-study and live courses from all topics, accounting, audit, personal development, Excel, QuickBooks, and more, you name it. Check out cpetoday.com. And the CPE Today podcast is made available Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. And you can always find great content being discussed in that podcast every single week. If you happen to be a new user, listener, viewer of the CPE Today podcast, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. We're ecstatic and happy to have you. How about you get a free credit on us? Use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to get a free credit for today's class. We're going to go ahead and get started with our presentation here in the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy our presentation. And we're going to go ahead and start this next hour with a look at ransomware. Now, ransomware, just so we all get on the same page here and we understand what is uh, uh, what this is, ransomware ultimately is software that is malware. All ransomware is malware, but not necessarily all malware is ransomware, although increasingly I would say they're becoming synonymous with each other. 
and ransomware software that will gain access and then ultimately lock down your access to your applications and your data on your devices. Uh, when the file systems are locked down, you will not be able to interact, engage with that data, be able to download that data or do anything. Essentially, you're completely locked out of this and you will have to pay a fee uh, a ransom, if you will, uh, in order to be able to gain access back to your data. And uh, typically the demand will be done in cryptocurrency, meaning you're going to have to send over Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other type of cryptocurrency uh, to the uh, perpetrator in order to be able to get access to your data. Now, what happens if you don't pay the data? Well, what the hackers will do is they will delete it. You will uh, not be able to get access back to it. Uh, increasingly, though, they are publicly exposing the data that they have received. And I'll give you some examples of that here in a little bit. Uh, meaning, you know, your data is compromised in a ransomware attack, and then they, you know, expose your your trade secrets, they expose your customer list, they expose your financial information. You know, they contact your customers and let them know that you experienced this, or and more. And there are a lot of standard tools of the trade to facilitate this. And I will say that there are several very large well-resourced, in some instances, state-affiliated, state-sponsored groups, again, especially in Eastern Europe, specifically in Russia and in China, that this is just what they do. I mean, it is like going to work for a big tech company here in the United States. It's like going to work for a big tech company, but in each of these places, but instead of developing software to help people, you're building malicious code and malicious applications to ultimately steal and ransom data, typically from organizations in the West. Now, to get it in front of a question that almost always pops up, should you pay the ransom? I don't know. It's not for me to decide, thankfully, and knock on wood here. I'm not in that position. I don't have to make that decision today. Um, I would tell you whenever possible, if you have other alternative means of getting back in business, uh, you should pursue those. You know, If you pay the ransom, you're further uh, encouraging this, this uh, cycle of um, crime. Um, so I would tell you if whenever possible, not, but you know, frankly, I've never been in that position and, and I don't know what I would do if I was put in that position. What you should do is you should put massive effort into never letting yourself fall victim to this. Uh, you should never put your organization in this position. You should put significant effort into building solid security infrastructure and having good backup solutions in place so that this isn't a problem for you to really ever think about. If you have a good backup that is reliable, available, that you can use, you know, if you fall victim to ransomware, you might lose a, hopefully no more than a day or two of time, but you'll be able to recover quickly. But you know, if you don't have a reliable backup, if you don't have good security procedures and they corrupt the backup, delete the backup, encrypt the backup, you might not have the option. And you could be faced with either losing all of your data or paying a unreasonably high fee. Uh, another question I usually get asked, should I get cybersecurity insurance? And the answer is absolutely you should. Uh, I could tell you I have cybersecurity insurance. I hope to never have to use it. It has a unreasonably high deductible, but it's not so high that... Um, I would be, it's not so high that I wouldn't use the policy. If I had to be in that position, I would. Um, but it's just something you just never hope you have to call. You know, insurance companies are in, the, are in the business of collecting premiums, not claims. But you could certainly consider getting cybersecurity insurance and data breach coverage. Uh, typically, it'll come from the same people that you get your professional liability insurance, at least for myself. Um, that's where it came from. 
And believe me, it's it's uh, something you hope to never have to use, but you'll be sure thankful you, you have it. So you might want to consider that, though. Now, what are some of the big trends that we should be familiar with? Well, um, just to hit you with some really kind of uh, mind-warping facts here, and these are coming from a couple of different reports. I've got the link provided down here. Uh, there are over 20 ransomware attacks every second. Ransomware costs the world $20 billion. I mean, $20 billion. I wouldn't ooh over that, but it is a significant amount of money uh, in 2021, and it's expected to go to $265 billion. Uh, 10 years from now, look at this. Look at this type of growth that you can expect. In 2021, 37% of all businesses and organizations were hit by ransomware, not necessarily crippled by ransomware, but at least had some sort of attack. Recovering from ransomware costs, on average, $1.85 million last year. Okay, So if you're affected by this, this is the cost of recovery, the cost of the ransom, the cost of the negotiation, the cost of new equipment, the cost of downtime. A lot of money, okay? And that number only goes up there for a lot of businesses, okay? Out of all the ransomware victims, 32% paid the ransom, but only 65% got their data back. So you pay the ransom. Another point to make about this, you might not get your data back. You know, there's nothing saying that they will, and it's not like you can take these people to court. Only 57% of businesses successfully recovered using backup. And the reason being is for a backup to be considered reliable, it has to be done automatic. It has to be uh, tested. Okay, You have to actually run and make sure that you can restore the data from there. Uh, It has to be in at least, uh, I would say, three different locations. It has to be on at least two different mediums. Uh, Backup is not just like copying a file onto a separate drive. There are some specific procedures which are covered at the end of our session here um, that are uh, really important for you to follow. And if you don't follow them, you might as well not do it. Uh, backup not done right is a backup not done. That should not be done at all. Okay? So, and in almost all these security events, the key recovery strategy is backup. Now, what does ransomware look like? Well, this is the front face of this, okay? In the background behind this, it looks just like your normal computer desktop is probably the best way of visualizing it. But just think of like you're going to, you know, you're in like a one way mirror type thing. You could see it, but they can't see you and you can't click on anything. You can't download anything. It's locked your computer up. Now, what happens with ransomware is once you get infected by this for a period of time, it just basically sits and seemingly doing nothing. What it's doing, though, is encrypting all the files on your computer. And for the purposes of, of ransomware, if something's encrypted, it's pretty much deleted because it's just not available to you. Uh, typically, these are encrypted using very, very large and powerful encryption algorithms, the same stuff we use for our bank communication and more. It's not going to be something you're going you're gonna to be able to, to fake. Um, this is an old example. You know, uh, This is from the WannaCry. Uh, it's looks different now, but this is the best screenshot I could find of something. And, you know, it'll pop up after it's done through the encryption process. And this is where it extracts the ransom. And usually it'll have something saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, charge you. And if you pay today, you know, it's only $300. But if you, uh, if you don't pay within the next couple of days, the ransom goes up. Uh, and if you don't pay after a week, in this case, we'll just delete all your files. Now I can tell you this isn't correct because this number is much higher than it used to be. Uh, we're talking thousands of dollars now, and um, it's not that they're going to delete your files. They're just going to keep raising the ransom, and, and it'll usually say something like, we'll make your data publicly available or something else like that. The fees can range from a few hundred bucks, in theory, to millions of dollars, and uh, there's a difference between the fee that they're going to prescribe you know, a colonial pipeline versus the fee they're going to you know, hit 
Bob or Susan Smith, for that matter. Now, I think a great way of understanding the effect of ransomware is I think we should probably take a look at a example of an attack. And I think probably one of the best examples is from last year in 2021, uh, the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. Okay. Now, Colonial Pipeline is the largest fuel pipeline in the United States. Okay. It starts in Texas, I believe in the Houston area. Uh, it's over uh, five and a half thousand kilometers long. It carries three million barrels of fuel every day between Texas and New York. So this thing is gigantic. And the, uh, I mean, this it doesn't just go straight from Texas to New York. It makes stops in every major metropolitan area along the Atlantic seaboard. And this is the primary way that a lot of folks in the on the East Coast, this is where their fuel comes from. It comes from, uh, it gets refined in Texas. And then ultimately, it gets uh, pumped up to the different uh, uh, the different um, distribution points across the eastern seaboard. So it's a huge infrastructure piece. Okay, millions of people rely upon this. Millions of businesses rely upon this. It might not be a nuclear launch facility, but I mean, we're talking about gasoline. I mean, it's gasoline. I mean, it's it, it's dangerous, inherently dangerous. Uh, and so it's absolutely critical for a company like Colonial Pipeline, not only to maintain operations for the sake of our economy, but there's a fair amount of health, life, and safety involved in this too. I mean, if your computer systems get infected with ransomware and you lose the ability to shut down the pipeline or to contain a fire or something else like that, I mean, we're talking major risks to public health at this point okay so saying that let's let's explore this a little bit further so hackers gained entrance into the company's networks uh sometime in late april of 2021 okay uh now here's what's interesting they gained access through a former employee's account okay former employee's account that account was not removed nor did it have two-factor authentication it is believed that the password might have been leaked through another data breach and then ultimately sold on the dark web. Let's just explore this for a second because this just seems crazy to me that this is still a risk in 2021, but I'm telling you, it still happens all the time. There are so many examples of data breaches that have occurred that could have been prevented through three different methods. First method, if you don't work for the company, you don't get an account. If somebody leaves the company, an employee gets terminated, before they leave the building, you kill their account. You at least disable it so that account cannot lock, cannot be used any longer. Uh, if they leave on, on good terms, great. It doesn't matter. You still kill the account. If they leave on bad terms, you make sure that account. Because the second they leave, they can log on from a you know computer anywhere in the world for that matter. And if they still have access, they can cause issues for your company. Yes, this is a crime. It still happens, right? So Terminate access, first and foremost. It's crazy to me, and I mean big businesses. This happens, this isn't just a small business or a medium business. This is every business. They just don't do good procedures with respect to curating who has access to their infrastructure. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. So step one, somebody leaves a company, you kill their account. Step two, um, you don't mix personal passwords and, and business passwords. You use a separate password for every single website you go to, every single service you use to. You know, it's crazy to me. I, I was helping a friend of the family over the weekend, and they needed to set up an account. Uh, I won't say what or who, but, you know, I, I was like, okay, here, I need you to put a password in. And she's like, oh, you know, here's my password. And it's it's crazy to me that, that they have, like, a password that they use. Like, like, oh, this is, of course, my password. This is always what I use. No. 
You don't do that, okay? Okay, you don't have just the password. You rotate passwords for the ones you do know, uh, but the best practice is you use a password management solution and you use a separate password for every website you go to, okay? Password management tools like LastPass, Bitwarden, Dashlane, KeePass, Zoho Vault, and others, there are plenty of great options here. They will generate passwords for you and then store them securely. They work fabulously. You use a separate password for every site and you don't mix business and pleasure, okay? So that's advice point number two. Number three, multi-factor authentication, people. Multi-factor, okay? Use multi-factor whenever possible. Multi-factor for the win. So multi-factor authentication, if you're not familiar with it, is a is a methodology of securing a system or device beyond just asking for uh, the password for something. Uh, the issue with respect to just asking for a password for something is that with the password itself, if that password gets compromised, well, guess what? Um, somebody can gain access to that particular account. But if you use multi-factor on top of that, meaning you use a separate method of proving who you are, preferably, again, uh, either a code sent to a phone or a text message, which is less secure but still better than nothing, well, guess what? Um, if that password's compromised, then we don't have to worry about somebody being able to get in because you physically have to have that device in your hand. So between these three methods, disabling employees who've left the company, using separate passwords for every website you go to, and multi-factor authentication, guess what? You can avoid most data breaches. The fourth one I throw in there, keep your devices up to date. You know, But in this particular instance, um, this is what happened. It was an employee who left the company. They didn't... Uh, retire that employee's account. They didn't force two-factor authentication. Guess what? They got breached. And so once the hackers were actually inside of the colonial network, uh, they were able to spread laterally and then ultimately infect the rest of the colonial company with respect to ransomware. And that still happens uh, quite often for many different styles of organization as they land and they expand. They don't just infect one thing. Guess what? They're going to infect a lot of things. Now, as a result of this, once they figured out essentially that the uh, ransomware attack had occurred, what they ultimately ended up doing was that they uh, had to shut down the pipeline. And the reason they had to shut down the pipeline, which was the first time they did so in 50 years, okay, it's because they could not determine the extent of what the hackers had done. They had, they had not determined um, what systems had been compromised, what the hackers actually had control over. Uh, and what they did not. And and I applaud them for this. This is not an easy decision to make. This is a decision nobody has hopes to ever be in this circumstance. But they had to. Because again, I mean, what if these hackers had compromised the fuel pump systems and the safety systems and overpressurized a tank, overfilled a tank? I mean, you could burn down facilities and cause human life to be at effort. Okay. This is a big deal. Okay, and it's one of the first examples here in the United States, anyways, of where we've seen a ransomware attack cause real-world physical damage to places. It was so impactful that President Biden actually declared a state of emergency on the eastern seaboard. Because of this and because the pipeline was getting shut down, guess what? That means fuel's not getting out to the service pumps. That means distribution trucks aren't rolling on the road bringing fresh vegetables and bread and eggs and milk to people. Uh, and all the things that you would expect to happen here, panics, okay, panic buying, you know, on top of having to deal with a worldwide pandemic, you got this now. Grocery stores were getting cleared out of toilet paper and water because we didn't know, especially as the shutdown ended its fourth day. 
So what did Colonial do here? Colonial paid the hackers. It was a affiliate of a Russian-linked cybercrime group known as DarkSide. They paid a $4.4 million ransom shortly after the attack. Now, in addition to the ransomware attack, the hackers also stole 100 gigabytes of data from Colonial and actually threatened to leak that information if that ransom was paid. So even though they paid that ransom here, okay, um, it really didn't do much for them. So what ended up happening was they paid the ransom. DarkSide sent them a utility that would decrypt the data. Encryption is not a quick thing, and decryption is not a, a, a quick thing. I mean, it, it, it could take a long time, and that's exactly what ended up happening. This decryption process, even though they paid the ransom, wasn't just like, you know, you slip a key into a master lock and the off pops the lock. I mean, this takes time to go through the mathematical operations of decrypting it. And it ended up just taking way too long to bring their systems up and running. And so Colonial, even though they paid the ransom, ended up just restoring their data from backups. Okay, and they, that's how they ultimately got up and running here. Okay, so Darkside ended up releasing a statement on May 9th. I think this is so cute in some respects. You know, it's just like, oh, shucks, we didn't know what we were doing. And they said, our goal is to make money, not to create problems for society. And I think that is such a uh, an poignant thing here. I mean, it, it's strictly business, folks. We don't really care. It doesn't matter what pipeline this was. We're not here to like destroy society. I mean, this is just our business, you know. It, it it seems like something almost out of the Godfather, you know. Just let them know it's 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 not personal. It's business here. Okay. U.S. DOJ uh, released a a press release in June um, of 2021 after this, saying they had actually been able to track, and they ultimately ended up seizing 63.7 bitcoins out of the original payment. Um, I can't remember what the price of Bitcoin was then and there, but they got some of it back. So, uh, but, you know, this is a great example of where a real world thing was affected by something that was occurring in the digital realm. And this, in a lot of ways, I'd say was the first, definitely won't be the last. And it's important to remember if you're in a manufacturing environment, I mean, all your manufacturing stuff is controlled by computers. You know, if you're in a transportation environment, your loads, your trucks, your tracking, all controlled by computers. If you're at a supermarket and you got, you know, 20 checkout lanes, every one of those cash registers, they're run by a computer. You can cause real world problems by interrupting the ability for those computers to be able to normally operate. Now, the next thing I want to mention to you is kind of another trend with respect to value extraction with respect to ransomware. Now, in the beginning, um, it was pretty simple. I'm encrypting your data. You pay me a ransom. You get your data back. Okay, that's like a level one type ransom. But now we have a level two. And now, horrifically, we have a level three level of ransom. Okay. And what you need to know is that if you fall victim to a ransomware attack, be aware that the pain and suffering doesn't necessarily end with you and your organization. Okay. Um, It can go far beyond that. Okay, so it used to be pay the ransom, it ends there. Okay, now what's really common is you pay the ransom, but we're also going to steal your data and we're also going to sell it on the dark web. Okay, or we're going to sell it to a competitor, we're going to sell it to a nation state. Um, And, you know, they might uh, they might do that. They might not. They might, for example, tell you and leverage uh, that they have a copy of your data to increase the odds of securing payment. They may or may not do that. Now, though, we got this horrific level three. And so level three goes beyond just we have your data, pay it back, or we're going to publicly expose it. Now what they do is that they will not only encrypt the network, they will not only demand a ransom, uh, but they will actually data mine 
the stolen information, looking through it, finding out who might have the most to lose, and then following up with them and demanding a ransom from them. You know, so imagine you get compromised and they get your customer information, and then these creeps go and turn around to your customer saying, Hey, I have your I have your data from XYZ company. You pay me too, or I'm gonna I'm going to expose this information. And depending on what type of business you're in and what type of customer, I think that could be really damaging. In fact, let me give you an example. This happened last year. I'm sorry, in 2020, um, and this was a attacker who went by the moniker of Ransom Man. And what this person did was they breached a psychotherapy medical provider called Batismo in Finland, okay? So Vitismo, think of them as like a group of doctors, a medical provider of some sort. I'm not super familiar with their with their specific company other than through this story, but just know they're a medical provider. You know, So think of your hospital, think of your doctor's group, whatever that ends up being. Imagine if they themselves got breached, okay? And so the hacker um, compromised, infected Vitismo with uh, ransomware, demanded, a ransom to be paid, okay? The ransom was 40 Bitcoins. And the company paid them. You know, the company paid the ransom, you know, which is, I'm sure, a lot of money. However, that wasn't enough for Ransom Man. What he did was exactly what I told you. He started data mining and started looking through the stolen data. And what they found was that in addition to, you know, whatever payroll data and customer data they had, they also had the charts and medical records and and session notes for the people who were patients of the um, Vitismo service. And this guy or gal or people or I don't know who uh, actually started contacting individual therapy patients, basically saying, hey, um, you know, I've got your medical records. How would you like to see it on Facebook or how would you like to see it published on a blog or on Google? You know, the specific and intimate and private details of what you talked about in your therapy sessions. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want that exposed. You know, there's some stuff that, you know, I, I, you know, anybody I would assume in a therapy session, you're doing so under the strictest of confidence. And that's how therapy works. Uh, so, I mean, I just can't tell you how much this really personally resonates with me and how much it personally hurts to think that that something that is so important to somebody's personal development be violated in such a grotesque manner uh, like this. But I'm willing to bet we're going to see more crimes like this occurring. Now, the one thing I will mention with respect to this specifically, you got to put yourself in the minds here in the United States. We have something, uh, a variety of different privacy frameworks like HIPAA here, okay, Uh, that, you know, if you fall victim to a ransomware attack like this, it could be a HIPAA violation. And HIPAA violations run from the thousands to the hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what is compromised. And even if you fall victim to ransomware, and it might not be your fault, you could, even coming out of all of this, still be subject to fines and fees as it relates to HIPAA violations or uh, GLB violations or Patriot Act violations or, um, oh God, California Consumer Protection App, GDPR. There's all these different privacy frameworks that exist that if you fall victim to ransomware, you could be facing depending on how that data is exposed. All right, let's go ahead and have a review question here. What level of extortion could attack with uh, could occur with a ransomware attack? Could it be one level? You hope. Could it be two levels? Not good. Could it be three levels? Unfortunately, we're starting to see more of that. The correct answer here would be all of the above. 
Let's hope that's not the case. Now, if we look at the volume of ransomware, it continues to grow year over year with no end in sight. Again, this is data coming from that SonicWall report. Such a great report. Uh, if we look here, 2019, 2020, significant growth, but between 2020 and 2021, more than doubling uh, the frequency of ransomware. And if we look at this by country, well, folks, I hate to tell you, I know most of my attendees are going to be in North America, in the United States and Canada. I hate to tell you, but uh, really here in the U.S. anyways, we are by far the largest country in uh, the largest target with respect to ransomware. Uh, it grew 104%, um, you know, uh, here in North America, which is in other regions, it grew much, much, much faster. Uh, Asia ransomware grew by 122% and uh in Europe, it grew about 175% year over year, but still by by volume, the U.S. still dwarfs virtually every other country combined. And what types of ransomware are we seeing here? Well, it's not just one thing, okay? Ransomware is not just like a file, like Word, you know, it's a category. Instead of Word, we have, you know, uh, uh, word processing. So, you know, you got several different categories of word processor, Google Docs, Microsoft Word, WordPerfect, uh, LibreOffice and others. Well, same thing here. Um, Ruck, which is a primarily used by um, Russian hackers, is by far the most dominant. We also have SamSam, Server, GrandCap, CryptoCrab, and others. Um, you know, SonicWall recorded over a thousand different ransomware signatures just in 2021, coming from over 300 different ransomware families. Now, data breaches continue to increase as a result of ransomware. 82% increase of the number of data breaches compared to 2020 uh, in 2021. And while this growth seems incredible, guess what, folks? Uh, 2022 is already on track to beat it. Yay us. Okay. Coming from a different report here. This is coming from the CrowdStrike uh, report. Ransomware by industry. Uh, while oral organizations at risk, if we look at the highest risk organizations here, uh, they are going to be in industrial and engineering. We're going to see some significant risk in manufacturing, your technical uh, as technology companies as well. Uh, kind of, I would say, in the leader, but still in the middle of the pack, professional service, financial service firms, healthcare firms, uh, all at risk as well. Uh, your lowest are going to be your academia and logistics companies. Uh, certainly still at risk here, but uh, nowhere near as risk is, uh, as what we see in industrial organizations and manufacturing organizations. Now, spotlight on these specific types of ransomwares. As I mentioned, there's a couple categories that we should be familiar with. Ruck, uh, it's the biggest. It's primarily uh, spread through phishing and spear phishing campaigns. It will enter the network via compromised credential. Um you know, it could come in through other types of malware as well. Uh, and it's also a type, it can also be used as what we call ransomware as a service. And uh, this is uh, typically where you will hire a threat actor, a perpetrator, an adversary uh, that will then specifically target competitors or specific businesses or people that you don't like or want to commit some sort of uh, crime to. Um, you can think of ransomware as a service, kind of like the SaaS model where, you know, it's just, you pay a fee and it, and the software just works. Well, in this case, it's like hiring an, it's like hiring a technology hitman is probably the best way of describing it. You pay a fee and it, and the work is just done. Um, mostly Russian though. This is really where we're going to see uh, the Russian criminal cartels shine. 
Another type of ransomware that we see quite often is that Sam Sam is a distant second to Ruck, uh, but it did have pretty good growth in 2021. It continues to grow up uh, pretty significantly, and I think we'll probably continue to see more of this uh, growth here in the next couple of years. Uh, and unlike Ruck, though, it is a um, it's not sold underground and it's not for hire. Uh, but rather it's one group that's really kind of behind this and this is like their shtick. This is like the one thing that they do. Um, not a lot is known about them actually by the, by the group who actually puts this together. Uh, but I will say that a lot of attention to detail, a lot of uh, success that they've had and, and it will continue uh, to grow in the coming years. Now, let me give you an example. This is a hypothetical example um, walking you through, hopefully to kind of make it real with respect to like how a ransomware attack might look and feel inside your business. Um, This is, again, hypothetical. This is not coming from one specific example, one specific crime. I wrote this and I tried to put together a a, um, worst case scenario, not maybe not worst case, but like worser case scenario than like the best case scenario here to really kind of hopefully drive this point home. Um, and this is a composite of several different news stories and things I've read and, and also stuff I've seen in my life as well uh, to really, I think, hopefully give you a good sense of what this could look like for your organization. Okay. So we're going to use the wizard spider ransomware group as an example here. And we're going to use Ruck as the ransomware type. Uh, I just have to say, uh, these uh <laughs> these ransomware groups they got the coolest names you know wizard spider i mean how cool is that i mean it's horrible what they do but i got to give them credit for style i mean that's a it's a lot more interesting than you know like uh, ransomware inc or something the wizard spider group i mean it it man i mean both of those things i mean a wizard is pretty scary on their own but a spider wizard holy smokes i don't want to be anywhere near that all right so uh, let's just say for your company, for example, you're like a lot of businesses, you do things as good as you possibly can. Let's say you're maybe a smaller firm, smaller mid-sized firm. Maybe you've got one or one or two IT people that maybe work. You got a leader in the IT team, you know, might be part-time. You know, we're, we're going to kind of just go, I think, for the lower end of the of the tier. Okay. So uh, let's just say, for example, you you have remote access set up inside of your computer. You got a remote desktop uh, computer. We'll talk more about RDP or sometimes RDC, remote desktop connection, a little bit later on. But let's just say you're running eh, something that's maybe not the latest and greatest. Maybe it's poorly secured, an outdated version. Maybe you're running Windows like 2012 as an example, Windows Server 2012. You know, it's more than a couple of years old at this point. And so let's just say Wizard Spider compromises that box. and accesses it through RDP, RDC, okay? And then ultimately, they're able to get into what's called the domain controller. It's kind of like the the controller of your network, okay? Now, they could get in through that remote desktop. Other examples, maybe they get in through uh, privileged access by an employee clicking a malicious link and logging into a fake intranet website that they think is their company's website but is not. We sometimes call that credential fatigue, uh, but you know they still steal the credentials through a phishing attack. Alternatively, maybe your company uh, is running an outdated application that's using that uh, Log4j I was telling you about, and they hijack that application and compromise it that way and steal credentials in that way. But either way, these are just giving you examples of how it could occur. Now, that RDP server is accessible from the web without a VPN. It's using an out-of-date firewall appliance. You know, maybe the IT guy is asleep at the wheel, um, you know, maybe they just never bothered to upgrade it. Maybe they don't have an IT guy at all. And this was configured in 2012 and it was secure at the time, but 10 years later, it's not. 
Okay, remember, technology keeps evolving. It gets better and better. Okay, that RDP server did not require two-factor authentication. That RDP server did not require uh, long and strong passwords, okay? Uh, the compromised account that they got was maybe from the IT administrator who's no longer with the company, but again, nobody bothered to delete their account or disable that account from being used. And maybe that account was uh, compromised from another data breach because that IT administrator just used the same password for personal and private stuff as, and, as well as business stuff. Okay, so maybe it was exposed that way. Okay, as we talked about for other reasons, you always disable accounts whenever somebody leaves the company. Now, once that domain controller was infected, Wizard Spider then installed various fail safes and other malicious code into that operating system of that domain controller to prevent detection so it would continue to operate. Okay, maybe it installed something called a shell starter to reinfect the computer if it was ever discovered and removed by an anti malware solution. Okay, and then Wizard Spider goes to work and it starts laterally moving. Remember, it only takes about an hour and a half for them to figure out all the other devices, do a map and start spreading uh, to other devices. And guess what? How is it doing it? It's using the same IT administrator credentials that were compromised that not only log on to that computer and that server, but work everywhere else in the network. Uh, there are a variety of utilities that are built in. If you're an administrator, you can run, including this one called NTD Still, which is used to manage security on this server. And using those credentials of that IT administrator, they're able to take a copy of all the other user accounts on that network. Okay, well, now that Wizard Spider owns that box, they start moving laterally. They start sending additional malware through the infected network. And the malware is intended to find and compromise the company's databases. Maybe they've got SQL Server, MySQL, other things of that nature. And what are they trying to do here? Well, they're trying to find data uh, from those databases, and they're going to take a copy of whatever data they find and then report it back to the mothership. Now, the issue is this company, as with most businesses, don't encrypt most of their databases. As such, it's publicly available, and if you know where to look, you can find it. Okay, and then they take a copy of that. Wizard Spider then looks for any backup devices. Cloud backup, they disconnect it. If it's backup drives, they corrupt them or encrypt them. And they're looking to infect those with malware. And they make sure they do this going as far back as they possibly can. And they want to ensure that any recent backups would be encrypted or otherwise unusable. Okay, so now that they've got all the fail safes and all the major company data points secured and corrupted and encrypted or in the process thereof, what do they do? Well, they start spreading to all the individual employee workstations, mobile devices, mobile computers, using, again, that same compromised username and password of that administrator. And as the company wasn't running the latest version of Windows on their server, guess what? They're not running the latest version on their desktop computers. And that allows for this malware to spread relatively quickly. In fact, maybe Wizard Spired isn't even using uh, a zero-day exploit. Maybe they're just using an exploit that's been known for a couple of years, but because the company doesn't track their known vulnerabilities, they didn't know they needed to update from XYZ application to the latest version to resolve this one security issue. And finally, once all the useful and valuable data is extracted, Wizard Spider begins the encryption process on the servers and workstations, ultimately trying to lock them down. Okay, once that encryption process is complete, simultaneously, Wizard Spider locks up all the assets simultaneously. Uh, all users and administrators are prevented from accessing company data and resources. Wizard Spider then sends a notification to the company that they have to pay 100 Bitcoin, at least at the time of the writing here, about 3 million bucks to get their data back. 
company says, well, let's just go ahead and restore our backups. And they thought they had a pretty good solution in place. But they go to check and guess what? They're they're not air-gapped, meaning they're not separate. And those uh, backups have not been verified in a long time. And guess what? They are not usable, okay? And it, it's because this wasn't one person's job. They didn't have a full-time guy. They didn't have a person whose job was to check the backups regularly. And then when they go to check them, they weren't usable. And so faced with losing all their data and potential weeks or months of downtime, they have to consider paying the ransom, okay? I don't know if they do or not. Now, at the same time, Wizard Spider is ex- is extracted and exfiltrated all this data, and they start data mining it, looking for authentication information, cryptocurrency keys, banking information. They've got copies of emails and files, proprietary information, trade secrets. All this information will be used for future attacks or sold on the dark web or to competitors or unfriendly states and more. Okay, so... Um, if you start thinking about it, I mean, it's incredible with how far and wide these attacks can become. Okay, so again, now they start reviewing this. Now they start looking at this. Wizard Spider finds a lot of additional breach targets, other potential uh, people that they can do these crime against. Maybe they start contacting individual customers and trying to blackmail and extort clients, vendors, employees, anybody else that had data as part of this breach. And they sell the data on the high, uh, on the dark web to the highest bidder. Customer data, employee data, I mean, these people don't care, okay? And any sort of proprietary or trade secrets are sold potentially to businesses in unfriendly nations. There's a heartbreaking story of a, a company that makes um, wind turbines. And they made a really, really great wind turbine, the software behind it. And this wasn't a ransomware thing. It was one of their employees, their own employees, sold them out. Uh, and sold and basically sold for not even a lot of money their proprietary software to a Chinese national that ultimately ended up uh, selling it to another manufacturing firm in China. And then guess what? You know, all these Chinese companies started producing wind turbines exactly like the American one, and they lost their competitive advantage. You know, um, that happens. That happens quite often. So, I mean, hopefully, this example here gives you an example. Uh, a timeline of what this potentially looks like and the risk that can come with respect to once you experience a data breach, what it can look like for your company and your employees. I mean, you're putting people at risk here with identity theft and more. Now, are there any additional risks with work from home? Do you have a higher risk? Uh, it's kind of hard. You know, I think there's some intangible risks that are really kind of difficult to quantify here. Um, you know, it's really kind of, how you work, where you work, type of data you're working on. There are some things that you need to be familiar with. Uh, work from home might have additional risks. Working from a public space probably will have a higher risk, mostly just because it's hard to physically secure devices in a public environment where you know somebody gets up to go to the restroom and they leave their laptop and somebody swipes it, or you leave your phone on a, on a co- counter at a, at a Burger King and, again, somebody steals it. Um, However, I wouldn't say from a technology, specifically like a data layer, it's no more risky, in my opinion, than, than working in a corporate office. And both risks are entirely manageable if you take the time to properly set it up and secure your corporate network. And I would tell you, don't let just a slightly increased risk prevent you from incorporating or in, in, in using uh, work from, from anywhere. Just be smart about it. 
And the risks as it relates to work from home, pretty much the same as the office. I mean, these are all the things that we've talked about in one aspect or the other. Uh, maintaining compliance, phishing emails, those are going to be an issue no matter where you are. Users using poor password design and weak passwords. Uh, some other device, this is a specific one for work from home, unsecured home devices. You know, little Billy, you know, has his own personal computer and downloads stuff from the internet and infects his personal computer. And dad is working from home on his work computer, uh, because they're on the same network. You know, one could spread to the other in theory. But again, if you properly secure that work computer, the risk is manageable. Uh, unencrypted file sharing, same thing. You know, if you properly encrypt and store your files, uh, you don't have that risk. Uh, open Wi-Fi networks, you can have an open Wi-Fi network at the home or the office. And this is basically just a network where anybody can drive by and join. Uh, your Wi-Fi network absolutely should have a password on it to only allow authorized users uh, to utilize it. So why could the office be more secure than work from home? Generally, your office will be more secure uh, and here's some reasons why corporate IT governance, you're going to have all the physical stuff, the hardwares and forced anti-malware. You're going to have IT staff that can help and do things and, and provide, you know, support. You're not going to usually get that at home. The building, the devices themselves are physically secure. Okay. The internet connection, all of that stuff is going to be secured. You're going to have coworkers there. You can ask questions. You can create a good culture. Hey, Bob, I got this email from the CEO. Should I click this link? And Steve could be like, no, Bob. We went to that great no before training. You don't click the link. We already figured that out. Uh, and certainly like things like uh, uh, centralized backup can also be really helpful too. Okay. So why does work from home have some inherent risks? Okay. These risks can be mitigated. And it could be that staff is connected to privileged resources using insecure methods. Again, I'm connecting to my company uh, from my home network, but the Wi-Fi has no password and, you know, a... Uh, and the router's 10 years old and got infected with ransomware and or uh, malware and, and then infect the other devices uh, in the network. Or it could be that family members, again, have infected devices and they bring it in. It's like, imagine you got a kid sick with the cold that he picked up at school and he brings it home and infects the rest of the family. Or you have a birthday party and you got a kid, again, that gets sick and infects everybody else at the party. You know, in this post-COVID world we live in, that's actually a realistic worry now. Uh, but same thing here, okay? Uh, you can have staff using company resources, not locking their workstation, okay? Uh, control L, I'm sorry, Windows L on your keyboard locks it so nobody can just walk up and use the computer. You know, if you're at home, I mean, I hope the risk is relatively minor. If you're at a coffee shop, though, you lock that machine when you walk away. Staff not backing up their devices. If their device dies, this is as much a problem for you as it is for them, you know? So you want to ensure that your staff are adequately backing up their devices in case they physically fail or they're compromised. Um, staff, staff not being able to ask questions. Again, culture is huge, you know? Um, not being able to ask a colleague if a uh, potential email that they got was, uh, uh, was, uh, was, uh, correct uh, or if it was being spoofed or something uh, something else like that so there we go all right so what are some recommendations that you could do to make this better i've got a great link here you can go ahead and check this out it's all the same stuff that you should be doing um for your company you can do at home keep on top of the security guidelines keep your devices up to date uh, make sure your wi-fi is secured um, watch out for phishing emails all the same stuff okay Keep your credentials secure. Use long and strong passwords. Uh, use authentication apps and multi-factor authentication. 
It's the same stuff. And the reason why work from home can be as secure as the corporate environment is the fact that 95% of today's technology is cloud-based anyway. And so it Office 365 runs in the Azure data center. It's not local to you to begin with. So it doesn't make a lick of difference from 99% of the time where you're located. So if you just use the same principles to secure your personal life and your personal home or on the road that you do in your corporate office, you're going to be fine. Okay, that's my takeaway. Don't don't make bad decisions, I guess. Okay, and just follow the same procedures you do for your office as you would do for your house. Okay, let's go ahead and have a review question here. What isn't a security concern when working from home? Okay, what isn't a a security concern? Is phishing email? Yes, it is. Okay, is a weak password? Yes, it is. Is it unsecured home devices? Yes, it is. The correct answer here is guess what? They're all security concerns. Uh, these are the same things uh, that you would uh, that you would need to worry about for the most part in your office as you would at home. Um, hopefully, though, if you're in the office, for example, those devices themselves will be secured because IT will have governance over those devices. All right, let's go ahead and round out this last uh, our last part of our discussion here with a discussion on intrusion attempts and really just to try to give you a sense of how hacking works and what you should be familiar with, okay? And what is an intrusion attempt? Well, an intrusion event is a, intrusion attempt is a security event in which an intruder, a hacker, or cyber criminal, or somebody else attempts to gain access to a system or resource uh, by exploiting a vulnerability without authorizations, okay? So basically somebody trying to compromise, hack, and get in. Most of the time, they're using known vulnerabilities um, that are going to be CVEs. That's why it's so important to keep an eye on that list uh, because if it's a known vulnerability and you haven't updated your systems to resolve that vulnerability, guess what? That hacker can scan that network and find that vulnerability for you, okay? And so while the vulnerability is public, maybe not everybody has updated and most organizations take time to roll out updates company-wide. And so what they're going to look for is they're going to specifically look for companies and organizations that have infrastructure that have not been updated or patched accordingly. Let me show you a couple of examples. Uh, LabCorp, okay, it's a testing company. They draw blood. They do other types of medical diagnostic medicine. Uh, LabCorp had a security flaw on a website, okay, that ultimately exposed thousands of medical documents like test results containing sensitive health data. And it was due in part due to a section of their website um, that you could manipulate to potentially show you data from other people. And even though that system was protected with the password, uh, you could manipulate the web address of that portal to make you go to a different account and show you the records of that other user. And what made it even worse is that, you know, Google figured this out and it cached the results and they've since taken it down. But, you know, it was essentially something that you could just manipulate their website to expose information for you. And so uh, the cache search result would only return one document containing that patient's health information. But by just changing and incrementing the document number in the URL, you know, going from one to a two, it made it possible to access thousands of other records. Uh, and the results of this analysis show that at least 10,000 documents were exposed this way. Okay. Another example, Citrix, huge network company. They make all types of software for virtualization, remote access, and more. Citrix uh, said they had malicious hackers inside their network between 2018 and 2019. Uh, and they were able to get off with personal and financial data about employees, contractors, interns, and the, and the like. Uh, 
And they were able to get things like social security number and other tax information. And they were actually alerted by the FBI. The FBI told them and said, hey, Citrix, guess what? Uh, somebody compromised your network and was able to steal data. And after an investigation, uh, they believe that a technique called password spraying was used. Um, you can also use this called credential stuffing. It's a similar type of attack. Pretty crude, but pretty simple attack where you just basically, you know, try um, to manipulate the system with combinations of username and email addresses and common passwords. And guess what? It, you know, a broke clock is still right twice a day. And like here, eventually they found... Uh, found a way of being able to get in. So if we look at this and we try to understand malicious attacks here, uh, there are lots of different types of attacks that can occur. Uh, substantially, the biggest one here is going to be our remote file access. That represents about 40% of the time uh, people being able to access files that uh, they shouldn't be able to access. Directory transversal, being able to change the URL or the path of a folder to be able to get in to a uh, specific folder that you're not allowed to access to. Uh, remote code execution, being able to execute code on remote machines um, through very simple, well, it can be complicated, but it appears to be very simple. Uh, SQL injection, SQL uh, structured query language is the language of database, manipulating web forms and the like on how um, to basically get in and game a database and more. So this kind of gives you an idea of what these major attack types are. And I've listed here some really good insight coming from that SonicWall cyber threat report explaining those specific threats and what they mean and, and what how they operate. Like remote file, uh, again, refers to an unauthorized individual gaining access to a file meant to be only accessed by authorized individuals. That happens all the time. A big culprit are people who share things like on Google Drive, on OneDrive, and they share it out to a group of people, and then they never unshare that document. Okay, If you're going to share a document, if you can, password protect it, and if you can, set an expiration note, a date on it, so that uh, when it, you know, at some point in the future is no longer public. But this one thing represents, again, like I think 35 to 40% of all uh, intrusion attack types and more. So I'm uh, I'm going to leave these slides for you to read here with going through some of the major types like remote file access or directory transversal or remote code execution and more. What is the most significant intrusion type? Okay, so out of all the intrusions that were listed there, what are the most significant? Is it remote code execution? Nope. Is it SQL injection? Nope. Is it directory transversal? No, it is not. The correct answer here is going to be remote file access. Thank you so much for attending our presentation and podcast for today. As a reminder, you can check out cpetoday.com for all your continuing education needs. We have courses on every topic you can think of from accounting to audit to ethics and regulation and more. Everything you need to know to stay relevant, current, and up to date with the profession. Again, check out cpetoday.com. If you're a new watcher or listener to the CPE Today podcast, again, we offer you a free course and a free credit for you to try our services. Pick the podcast of your choosing and use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make that purchase free. If you enjoyed our presentation, please consider connecting with us on social media and let us know what you think. You can find us just about everywhere at CPE Today, uh, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. And please consider subscribing to us wherever you happen to receive your content. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and others. We'd love for you to leave a review and let us know what you think. It helps new listeners and watchers find our course and content. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you for being in the office, and we look forward to seeing you back here soon. Take care.